0: I wanted to start off today, though, as we talk about this idea of rest, asking real briefly, um, and you, I'm not going to ask you what it is specifically, but who here made a New Year's resolution in some way, shape, or form? You know, some sort of plan, some sort of goal for the new year, something like that, and no one wants to admit it. That's okay. There you go. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. I'm not going to ask you what it is. I think it's in our nature. It's the kind of people that we are. We are in a perpetual... Uh, plan to better ourselves we're in a perpetual plan to kind of move forward to climb the ladder to go further to farther on on that's just the way that we're wired We're people like that Um, what i want to talk about today is how in many ways that becomes a problem for us and and we're going to talk about um, how we got into this mess of this constant perpetual need and drive to go and to go and to go even to total exhaustion Um, what jesus's answer to that is in the psalm here and how we can perpetually live in, in rest. So that's where we're going to be going today as we think about this. I wanted to start off with this quote. Uh, this is a man named Ray Anderson who I thought really captured this, this idea very well, this perpetual drive in each of us uh, to go and to keep going. He says this, um, What is there in us that takes the gift of rest and renewal And makes it into a rule and a regimen that we resist, even at grace cost to ourselves. I see this most uh, appropriately and, and often in my kids. And you probably do if you have kids, right? Every single night, it's a battle to go to bed. Every single night. Even though it's a gift. Even though it's a good thing. It's a battle. And even in my own life, there always seems to be one more thing I need to do. One more email I have to sign off on. One more part of my message I need to write. There's something else I always need to do. And we fight and fight and fight. So we're saying even this gift... Of rest this beautiful thing of going to sleep at night we resist constantly we make it a rule we make it a regimen we have to force ourselves to do it. he says this there is a slave master self and i'm going to keep using that term throughout this time i think it captures it well there's a slave master self lurking at the edges of the human psyche at one time we thought it was a taskmaster parent at one time we blamed it on our parents they were hard on us they were the ones making us do everything Then we thought the tyrant boss, it's our boss that constantly is on us about things, the tormenting job. He said, like the children of Israel who thought they had left the slave master in Egypt, we, like them, discover we've actually carried it with us as a hidden virus with an insatiable appetite for healthy flesh. And we have this this slave master self, that there is something inside of us that keeps us going to our own detriment and keep refusing rest i was thinking about um I, my uh, my brother had a um a passion for greyhound racing at one point in his gambling career and i don't know if anybody's ever seen that before but they line up all the dogs on a track and there's a little box on the inside corner and inside of it is this little mechanical rabbit and they open up the box and the rabbit shoots out and that's what all the dogs are chasing um I mean, it's horrible but it but it But it's all I kept thinking about as I was writing this message this week and how how often my life feels like that, right? There's no way they're ever gonna get it. No matter how fast the dog goes, they just turn it up a little bit more and they keep going, keep going. This idea of this slave master self, there's something out there and for each one of us, it's something different. You fill in the blank, whatever rabbit you're chasing, it is always just out of your reach and you always have to keep going and pushing as hard as you possibly can to try to grab it. And you never will That's the slave master self I just want us to have Kind of a common understanding Of what it is That we're talking about today And so we'll dive into this How we got into this mess Where did this slave master self Come from Where did this internal drive To just keep going And keep pushing And be works, 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 works And we go all the way back To the very beginning As we often do In Genesis 1-1 In the beginning God created the heavens And the earth Now the earth Was formless And empty Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And notice the second verse, he says, And, and, the, and the earth was formless. It was void, it was formless. The, the unique thing about God, what we say, and this would be a great theological term for you that you feel like you got your money's worth today, and I'll teach you. Um, We say God created ex nihilo. Kind of a cool thing. My boys were saying it this morning. Ex nihilo. Um, Ex nihilo. Say it with me. Ex nihilo. See? It feels smart just saying that. Ex nihilo. You say that to somebody on the street. God created ex nihilo. What it means is that God created out, ex nihilo, nothing. Out of nothing. Absolutely out of nothing. That is what makes our God creator. The unique creator that he creates out of nothing. There's nothing there and he creates out of it. It is, um, if you've seen the movie Expelled, it's the beauty of Ben Stein's questions to people like Dawkins and others who believe in evolution. And he keeps pressing this very simple question. He said, look, what I just want to know who can tell me at what point we went from mud or crystals or rocks or gas or something inanimate, something without life to life. How did that happen? How do we go from no life to life? What, what is that? What, what's the thing behind that, right? Uh, I was watching a, uh, a thing called the human spark this week with, uh, with Alan Alda asking the same question. He was saying, you know, all right, how did we come from, like, gorillas to people? Where's the humanness? Where's the soul? Where's the, he kept calling it the spark, this life. We say God created out of nothing, that there was nothing there, and he is the force, and it's there. So a couple things to notice from this text that I think teach us a lot about rest number one god alone is the creator right where are people in this story where are we we're not we're five days away we haven't even begun and in fact we don't even get to take part in the creation of the other animals the earth any no other part of it we're the very last thing we're the very last thing god does not need us to accomplish his work at all god is the creator he initiates it he begins it the other thing and i've talked about this before watchman knee gave me this this insight the very first day that humans come along is the sixth day and what happens on the seventh if you know your bible rest our first day our first act of work if you want to call it that is to rest That's it. And it is a way that God says through the scriptures so very clearly, it is my work. It'll always be my work. And here's the first thing I want you to do. Lie down and rest. And that idea of rest isn't that God gets tired, but it is this Hebrew concept of completion as if to like sigh and to say like, "Ah." and God rested from his work. It was done. Everything. The world was created. And so work is there, right? But it's not really work. In the perfect world, What God uh, asked Adam and Eve to do is to steward creation and to be fruitful and multiply, to garden and make love. I mean, that's what he asked them to do, okay? What many Americans would consider to be what we do in our free time or on the weekends, right? Have for fun. I mean, that's hardly work. It's not the things that are going to break down your body. It's not the things that are exhausting. They are the very things that we consider to be healthy parts of life for people who want to do recreation, right? We encourage people to go do those things if you're married, you know, and obviously, Um, those are good things. So what happens then? What happens to this idea of perpetual rest in God, this beautiful creation story, is that Satan comes in, and you know the story, tempts them with an apple, says, disobey God, be your own God, create your own world. And what Ray Anderson says, the one I quoted at the beginning, and I think it's a beautiful picture, is in essence what happens at the fall, what happens when when Adam and Eve choose to go their own way, is that instead of looking forward to this eternal rest, this beautiful creation that God has done, he turns them around, and what they have to face now is the ex nihilo, the nothing. Because God's plan and all that God does throughout the scriptures is constantly creating. It's all about giving life. It's all about being light in life. Everything that Satan wants to do is destroy and tear down. And what Satan's ultimate plan is is to bring us back to this earth that is formless and void. It is all about destruction. And so we have this this curse, right? He says to the woman, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth this beautiful thing of having a child all of a sudden becomes this incredibly painful thing. Some of you are, are like that. Yeah, I asked Anna, Anna, you here? Where's Anna? Yeah. I said, how are you doing this morning? She said, I'm pregnant, right? I mean, that's the way it feels. You know, it's not, it's not the most comfortable thing. I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire will be for your husband. He shall rule over you. This authoritative, patriarchal kind of system put in place here. To Adam, she said, to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, have eaten from the tree, about which I commanded you, saying you should not eat from it, cursed is the ground now. Cursed is the ground. In toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field, and by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. By the sweat of your face, you'll eat. You return to the ground, he says. From it you were taken, you are dust, and the dust you will return. So, this wonderful thing of stewarding, this wonderful thing of taking care of creation, all of a sudden becomes a royal pain in the neck. It becomes something that breaks bodies down, that hurts, that is painful. This wonderful thing about procreating that God had blessed at the very beginning all of a sudden becomes something that's painful. And the relationship between even the man and woman now is going to be a painful thing. It's going to be something. If any of you have been in a relationship, you understand it takes more work than anything else in your life to keep relationships together. It's painful. Everything's painful. And so it is way, like Ray Anderson says, we are looking back at this ex nihilo. Now everything's breaking down. Now everything's hard. Now nothing is beautiful and light and creation. It's all ex nihilo. It's all brokenness. It's all nothing. And it's all in their own bodies they start experiencing immediately. I don't know what that feels like to be eternally alive and then all of a sudden eat the bite of the apple and all of a sudden enters your body. Some sort of feeling, I'm sure, of mortality. You know now, I'm, I'm not going to live forever. And so this is incredible. You can imagine this incredible fear. And what does it cause these people to do? And what does it cause every single human being now who is born but to run from that? And so I think, and I think this is so true that we have this desire that now we face this, this ex nihilo, this nothing, this constant breaking down. We know our bodies are broken. The things that we do with our hands hurt, and it's not working, right? We want purpose in our life. We try to create it for ourselves. We try to take this time, 70 years, 80 years that we have, and we try to stretch it out through the things that we do and the people that we produce biologically. We want to be immortal. We want to try to have this sense, and there's just this picture of of, of clawing and scratching and gnawing away at life, trying to get something out of it to run away from this feeling of nothing. That inside each one of us, we have a sense that That's what's on the other side, right? So every religion, every religion throughout history has had a sense of this, that is born with this sense of mortality and that the world is not as it is and we can look around and we can see death and we can see dying. And so every religious system in the world has been set up to try to escape it, try to say, how do we get out of this? I don't want to be in this. I don't want to end like this. And so we, you know, they devised sacrificial systems. Uh, they, they would kill things. they kill animals. they kill people. they kill themselves, whatever it is that they'd had to do to try to bridge that gap, to try to get us out of this feeling of nothing, it's out of this feeling of death, out of this feeling of despair. And along comes the Hebrew God who is from the very beginning, but into human history he comes. And the uniqueness of him The uniqueness of him is that apart from any other religious system, God alone is the one who says, I will come. I will come, and myself and my sacrifice will be my son, not you. You won't do the sacrifice. You won't be the way out. You cannot possibly do it. That's what we see in the person and work of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ comes, and he sacrifices himself in place because that is what ultimately satan the ex nihilo that's what it demands it demands a ransom i mean that's the idea of a curse right there is a curse over the land there's a curse over the people they will they will die there will be death it demands that and jesus comes and says yes i will i will do it right we never see this most clearly in c.s lewis's work the lion witch and the wardrobe It's it's on almost 24 hours a day at my house. And so it's a perfect picture of this idea that there is a curse over the land and what demands of treachery, what it demands of treason is blood. What it demands is life. And Jesus comes and he says, I will be the ransom. I will make the way. And Jesus' last words, so beautiful for me to kind of picture this this week. He says, it is finished. It is finished. To me, it was, it was a picture, the first time I've ever thought this way about it, of going back to the creation story and hearing God on that seventh day say, I it was a day of rest, right? It is finished. It is completed. We are now in the work of Jesus Christ, ushered in in a very real way to what God had created in the very beginning undoing everything, undoing the, the ex nihilo that, that, uh, that Satan had brought in, undoing that and giving us a way now to enter in to the new kind of life that was the way it was for Adam and Eve, that is, that is life and is life-giving. And so as you surrender your life to Jesus, as you say yes to that sacrifice, and say, yes, I take that sacrifice, the sacrifice that Jesus did on my behalf, I accept that as a gift of grace, you are ushered back in, this creation to this life-giving thing somehow though somehow perpetually in our life that slave master self takes over again though doesn't it and as soon as we realize that we've been given a gift our initial instinct always is to try to pay it back we want to give one too right it's not even it's not a bad desire (laughs) it's not a bad desire but it is so often the case Satan takes something that could be very good and just twists it on its head. And so what should be a natural response? As the scripture says, you've been loved, so go and love. You've been forgiven, go and forgive. It should be a natural response. What we turn it into is the same thing that Ray Anderson said about our rest. It becomes a taskmaster. Now it's something we have to do, have to do, and we become compulsive about it, compulsive. Some of you might know the story of the man who founded... World Vision. And if you don't, I'm not going to say his name or anything. It's a sad story. And it's the true story of, of many of the organizations and some of the greatest leaders in the world that we know. People who had such a compulsive drive to do something for social change, what it is, good intentions. But in the meantime, their personal lives, their marriages, everything else was failing in the wake. One of his children committed suicide. His wife left him gandhi was the same exact way If you read his autobiography it's a sad story about a man resurrecting and fathering and taking care of a whole generation of people while his own kids hated him you know and that is what it becomes in our lives these these things become larger than us and they take over and so we come to this psalm and it is it turns the world system on its head because the way that we all think and i do it too is we think I need to move and to go and to work and to do so that I can lie down. Right? That is the way that we think. I need to do this and this and this, and then I'll get that position, and then I'll be secure and I can kind of rest and relax. I'm going to work this hard for this amount of time, and then I'll get there, and then I won't have to do it anymore. Or I'll do this and this and this And then I'll look this way Or then I'll be loved Or then I'll be saved Or then whatever it is We set up these systems And what the scripture does here Is it turns it right in its head The first thing the shepherd does Is he makes me lie down He makes me lie down In green pastures And then it says And then he leads me and Then he leads me And it's the same thing it's, it's, it's so consistent with What we saw in the creation story You are created And the first thing God asks you to do Rest Rest with me Lie down You've heard me reference before Watchman Nee's book on the whole book of Ephesians, which is beautiful. Sit, walk, stand. He says the first thing that we do is we come to Christ and we sit, we sit. And the reason why, it is such a gift, the reason why is because we need to be reminded that the work is already done. We do not need to do the work of salvation over and over and over again. The penance has been done. The sacrifice has already been given. There is nothing you can do to add to it, God does not need more of a sacrifice than his only perfect, unblemished son as the lamb who went to slaughter. That is it. It is sufficient. And by our lives, by our lives of perpetually trying to save ourselves, Paul would say, if you keep doing it, Christ died in vain. What did he die for if you're gonna continue to die as well? If you're gonna continue to sacrifice, if you're continuing to constantly make that sacrifice unnecessary. Sit in it, rest in it. I know it's the hardest thing. It's hard for us. I think that's why intentionally David uses the form of this this Hebrew word, make me lie down. He makes me lie down. He has to, right? We don't do it willingly. We don't hear that story and then naturally do it. So practically speaking then, how do we live in it? Okay, I have a couple of things. Number one is we need to be a people who are going to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. You might have heard that phrase before, preach yourself the gospel. What that means is, is that, you, in essence, shorten this whole message to about 30 seconds and tell it to yourself every single morning. The sacrifice is already paid. Each morning we wake up, and that's the breath on our lips. The sacrifice is paid. The sacrifice is paid. Okay. I had a, a scripture. Do you have Ephesians up there? Okay. Here 's one way: memorize a scripture. this is an easy one, an easy one to just put in your memory bag, okay? Say it with me, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You have been saved by grace, it is a gift, it is not by works, so no one can boast preach that to yourself get up every single day let that be the first thoughts into your head you have been saved by grace not by works my works today do not save me what i do today does not save me i am already saved it is already a gift you preach yourself the gospel okay and the second part of this is we let him lead us to the water let him lead us to the water what i mean by that is this Kevin, show the next verse. That is a familiar verse to us, and this is the one that falls on its heels. For we are God's workmanship, and that workmanship is beautiful. You know what it is? It's poema. It's a poem. We are God's poem. It's beautiful. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, right? So he's saying you're not saved by works, but guess what? You were created to do good works for sure, but what are they? Which God prepared in advance for us to do. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. Okay. In Matthew 7, Jesus says at the end of time the people will come to me. And he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and your name perform many miracles? Great things, all things that God would say yes and amen to, all things that we have been collectively called to. And they come to him and they say, Lord, we did all these things. We did everything you told us to do. And he says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. I never knew you. You might have been doing the best works in the world, but he says, you were doing them for yourself. I don't know you. You weren't doing them because I told you to do them. Yes, those are good works. But we need to be patiently waiting to be led to the water. We sit We lay, we lie down in the meadow, we listen, we preach the gospel to ourselves, and we patiently wait for the shepherd to come and lead us to the water. All of your energy, if it is not spent on the things that God has called you to, what a waste of time and energy. And ultimately, and ultimately, we come and face him and we say, Lord, Lord, we did all these things. I didn't even know who you are. I don't know who you are. And it'd be very easy right now Again, that slave master self And every single one of us Most of us are thinking Okay, well I need to get about The business of figuring out What it is he called me to then Right? That is our initial reaction So you're all going to run out of here And say okay So he did say We are supposed to be working really hard I just need to figure out Exactly what it is And now I need to go do that work We make that a work in itself And we forget the first part of it and that's why I spent Way more time on it He makes me lie down Okay? And it is only in that place I'm pretty convinced is why he did it In the order he did It's only in that place You really can hear That you really can hear Okay? If not, it's just another self-salvation plan. It's another way for us to say, I can have purpose. I can have meaning. I can do this. I feel good when I give. I feel good when I serve. I feel good, 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 good. And it's all about me. And he's saying, that's not even the waters that I led you to. That's not the waters I'm leading you to. Preach yourself the gospel and then be led. I know that's not easy. I know that's not easy. But I really think it is a strong warning there. And I hesitate saying this because, I don't. again, I don't want it to make it a legalistic thing, but I think we need to hear that. And this is the place I believe God brought me to this week. That really, the scriptures are clear when they say, all your good works are filthy rags, you know? And so even the work that we're doing, that even is the work that God has called us to, it should be a blessing to us. That we are called back again to that first creation story where we realize over and over again, Even apart from man, God is able to do it. It is always God's work. It is always God's work. We're invited to be a part of it. We're invited to be a part of it. I wish for this community, because I think that even more than than many others, this is is kind of an activist-type community, and I'm proud to be a part of it. Most of us outside of these walls are busy and active in God's kingdom. And my hope is that today we might be a people that would allow that slave master self to work in our behalf. And in the same extent that we are super excited and energetic and always willing to get involved with things, we would take it just as seriously, the parts of the scripture that say, stop and rest and listen to my voice and sit in my presence and have a relationship with me. Lest you run the risk of coming to the end and I say, depart from me. I don't even know who you are. I don't even know who you are. So I pray that if our slave master self could come and motivate us to do that, in the same exact extent he motivates us to do all the busyness of our lives, praise God that that would be accomplished today, that we would be a people, that eventually the shepherd wouldn't have to make us lie down. We would do that, and we would do it willingly, and we would do it frequently, and we'd wait for him to lead us.